interesting that we uh, planned that song before this one. I am running, running after you. And uh, I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 1, kind of give you the opposite of I am running, running after you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the, sh- that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. <clears throat> the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What country? What, what is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, and who had made the seas and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked, so they, they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let uh, us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. This morning we're beginning a new series called When Life Doesn't Go Your Way. We're going to walk through the books of Jonah and Habakkuk over the next eight or nine weeks. So have you ever noticed in life that life doesn't really go the way you planned? And I've noticed that people who don't deserve it sometimes do well, and people who are doing the right thing well, sometimes they get the short end of the stick. It's not so clear cut. You think, you know, as, as a Christian, I was a younger Christian, I thought, you know, if I, if I do the right thing and I do this and I do that and I do these other things, then, then you know, stuff won't happen to me because I'm following God. And life doesn't work that way. It, it's, it's not that clear cut. Sometimes life or even God doesn't make complete sense to us. We can't, we can't wrap our minds around it. We don't completely understand why things happen the way they happen. The book of Jonah is a perfect example of what not to do when you go through the difficulties of life. It's a great example to read through it of what not to do. We'll go through it the next four weeks. What not to do and how not to handle life's difficulties. 
So if you're ever looking about, you know, boy, I'm not really sure how to handle this, go to Jonah and you'll just do the opposite of what he does. and You're probably pretty safe. When you look at where Jonah is placed within the Bible, it doesn't seem to it seems to be in the wrong place. It seems to be in the wrong place. It's in the part of the Bible we call the minor prophets, but it it doesn't seem to, to, to fit in. And the reason I'm saying that is there are only eight words in the entire book of Jonah of prophecy, eight words. And in the Hebrew, only four words. So we have four words in the Hebrew, eight words in the English, trying to, in which we translate it, that have to do with the prophecy. And even those eight words are kind of a sideline to the over, overall book, to the overall story of what we're going to experience. See, the, the book of Jonah is more about Jonah and a nation and, and, and their relationship with God. It's, it's, a, it's about a God who is, is, is showing us his purposes in salvation. It's, it's a story about how we as people can come to understand the Lord in a, in a very unique way and see life from a different perspective. The book of Jonah helps us to see life from a different perspective, from an eternal perspective. And I know we talk about that a lot, but that is so important for every single one of us to not see life from a temple perspective, but from an eternal perspective. And it helps us in the book of Jonah to realize that even one of God's prophets can get lost in the temporal and the here and now and not see things from an eternal perspective, not see God's ultimate plan and what God is trying to do in the world. And Jonah got lost. He got lost in a temporal perspective and could not see what God was trying to do from an eternal perspective. And that is a great lesson for every single one of us to learn as we go through our Christian lives. When it's preached, when people preach about Jonah, the historical setting and Israel's history is often left out. And I think that's a mistake. For us to truly understand the book of Jonah, we need to understand the historical context of the book. When we understand the historical context, it gives us a much better grip on what's happening and why it's happening. It gives us a much better understanding of, of the man Jonah. It gives us a better understanding as we look through Israel's history and why, why Jonah acted the way he did and what the, what the themes of this book are all about. So we need to understand the historical context of the book of Jonah. And we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning on that. 2 Kings 14.25 is the only other place other than the book itself where we find uh, Jonah spoken of in the Old Testament. Now, it may not be, it may, it may not be uh, uh, enough for us, you know, a lot to work with, but at least it gives us, it gives us an accurate date for Jonah and his prophetic work. So if we look at this, we, we notice that if, if, uh, if, if it's happening, the, the, the book of Second uh, Kings talks about Jeroboam II. If, if we know that it's taking place during the reign of Jeroboam II, then we know that Jonah is happening in the 8th century B.C. So now we have an accurate date because Jonah prophesied to the Assyrians. If we understand he prophesied to the Assyrians, then we know if Jeroboam was then the king, which would mean that these events, all these events took place in the 8th century. And that means Jonah was divinely sent. Listen, Jonah was divinely sent to preach to the people, the city that would ultimately be responsible for the destruction of his homeland. Now, I want you to keep putting all these pieces together. I want to I want to try to put ourselves in Jonah's place. 
Try to put yourself in, in his place. Now, I'm not justifying his behavior, okay? I want to make that clear from the very beginning. I'm not justifying his actions, but it's important for us to understand the historical context and why he acted the way he did. If we don't understand that, we're going to miss so much about the book. When we understand who he was sent to address, then it gives us a better, a, a better grip on his initial reaction. God says, go to the city of Nineveh, and Jonah responds in a very unique way. Why did he respond in a very unique way? This gives us a better grip and understanding of why he did that. Now, with that as a setting, a little bit of a background, I want to talk about some of the themes that we find coming out of the book. This is important also as we go for the next four weeks in the book of Jonah. What are some of the themes that come out of the book of Jonah? For example, God's sovereignty. God is in control of every aspect when it go, as, we, as we go through this book. He's in control of everything that goes on. He's in control of the storm. He's in control of the great fish. He's even in control of the sailors when they cast the lots. So we find that we find that God's sovereignty is a main theme in the book of Jonah. And another theme is God's willingness to work through people. Even though God was in complete control, he uses people like Jonah to carry out his work. And I think that's, that's kind of a, it, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel better as a Christian because I know I'm not perfect. I know none of us are perfect. And we ask, is God going to use me? Can God use me? As you read through the Old Testament, even the New, you realize that some of the heroes of the, of the Bible have gone through very difficult circumstances, have fallen in some significant ways, but God continues to use them. God wants to use his people to bring about the impact that he wants on this earth. So God uses people as another theme. A third theme is that God is willing to show compassion to those who repent. We see this in the, 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 the ship people, the people, the sailors on the ship. We see that God is willing to forgive them as they repent. Uh, the people of Nineveh. See, what, what's happening here, we, we find out the fact that God is willing to show mercy and compassion. As a matter of fact, God's desire is to show mercy and compassion rather than judgment. That's God's desire. That's his preference. God wants to forgive. So we have a compassionate, forgiving God who wants to show mercy and not judgment. That is a major theme of the book. You know, it helps us too as we go through the Old Testament and you read through the Old Testament. A lot of people I know have started reading in the Old Testament and become a believer and, and they get they get the kind of part way through and they put they close the book and they're like, I don't read any more of this. God said to wipe all these people out. That's not fair. See, the problem is you're not looking at the whole entire context. You don't understand the, the theme of Old and New Testament. God is a God of love and mercy and compassion. God's desire is to show mercy, love, and compassion and grace rather than judgment. And for, for example, some people look at the, the Canaanites. They say, well, God told the, the Israelites to wipe out all the Canaanites. That's, I, I don't understand that. Well, you, you better understand it if you realize that God gave them 400 years to repent. 400 years and they refused and it wasn't until they had until every bit of goodness was out of that culture 
until they were so there was so much debauchery in the culture that God said enough's enough and God brings his judgment on them. So we need to understand thematically that God is a God of love and mercy and compassion and grace. Yes, and judgment. God's not some milk toast. He's going to respond. But we have to understand that God's preference is to do that rather than judge if people will just show repentance. That's extremely important as we go through this book that we understand that. And it's easy for us to see how a lot of these themes run right into the New Testament. A lot of what I just described to you, how they weave, the Old Testament runs right smoothly right into the New Testament. And I think most people would say that they, you know, they understand. They've they read the book of Jonah and they, they've heard the story and they, they know the story pretty well, especially the part where the, where the great fish comes up and, and swallows Jonah. But I'll tell you something. I think it's going to be interesting what we say to ourselves at the end of this series. How little we knew about the book of Jonah how much we can learn from the book of Jonah that we haven't learned before. I think most of us, I didn't grow up in church, but even as a teenager, you hear the story and, and, and no one gives you the full story. So, you know, you, Jonah comes off somewhat like a hero as, as we hold him up in the Bible. But we come to realize that maybe he's not so much of a hero, but there's still a lot we can learn from him. So in order for us to get the most out of Jonah, we need to understand the background. Again, we're going to do a little background here. The background of the two countries involved here. We have Israel and then we have Assyria. And for us to really, again, get a true understanding of why Jonah acted the way he acted, responded the way he responded, we need to understand the relationship between Israel and Assyria, as Nineveh is a part of Assyria, the Assyrian Empire. Let's start with Israel. With Israel. On the outside, at this point in history, Israel was looking pretty prosperous on, on the outside and politically stable. And they were. they were. They were coming out of a difficult time. They were becoming more prosperous and politically stable. But spiritually, they were struggling. They were dead spiritually. They had walked away from God. They were, they, would, they, were, they were more concerned about accumulating their wealth than they were about following God. So here we have them once again. They get prosperous. They fall back into the same, the same routine. And so they, they, they don't have a heart for God any longer. And Hosea, in chapter 4, if you want to read that at some point, not right now, but go to this week, go back to Hosea chapter 4, and it kind of gives you a rundown, the drunkenness, the, the murder, the... the, the uh, the, the prostitute, they were very much into prostitution, lying and, and stealing, and all these things were going on. Things that you would attribute to like a Sodom and Gomorrah, if you will, and Israel now is engaging in some of these behaviors. And God in his love and patience is trying to, to speak to them. God in his patience is trying to draw them back to himself. He's, he's, he's calling them to repent and he's showing great patience, but they have turned their hearts away from God. And they're refusing to follow after him. They're refusing to repent. So there's the context of Israel at this point. And Jonah knows it, okay? He understands all this. This has not, not missed him at all. Now we have Assyria. We have Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were a brutal nation. When it comes to their war practice, they had, they had very barbaric war practices. 
Hosea, at this time, a contemporary of Jonah, prophesies regarding Assyrians' conquest of Israel. He prophesies that, and it's right around the same time. So again, you have to understand the context that the prophets of Israel are prophesying, and they're prophesying that Israel is going to be you know, consumed, if you will. There will be a conquest, and Assyria is the one who will come and control them. And so you have this going on, and you have it from Assyria. And Assyria is this brutal nation. Their military was brutal. Their, their military power was brutal. They, they, were, they were the kind of country that would come into, a, 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 say, a town. And when they, would, when they would conquer that particular town, they would take the living folks, okay, people that they had captured, and they would impale them on spears in front of that town. And, and many people did this. Alexander the Great, they call him Alexander the Great. He was a great military leader, but he was a butcher. And what Alexander the Great would do is he would go into a city or go into a town, and he would wipe out everyone living in that town, except for a couple of people who he would send to the next town, and those people would come back with this horrifying experience here comes this guy alexander the great and his army and here's what he did to us and other others towns would surrender before he even got there so you have the assyrians with that same kind of attitude they come into a town and they take captives and they'd impale them on spears and there was one story i read where they would take the skulls of the people that they had killed and they pile them up into a pillar so here you have the the northern neighbor of israel and uh, and there was no love loss here no love loss. And Jonah understood all of this. Any political or military observer understood the threat that this powerful nation to the north was to Israel's security. And it was not lost on Jonah. He understood all of this in even greater detail than I'm describing. At this time, Israel's military strength was beginning to, to rise. They were getting, like I said, they were becoming more prosperous. They were coming a little more powerful, and Assyria's dominance was beginning to wane. Not that they were weak, but they were beginning to wane. And so you have this all going on. Under, under King Jehu, the Israelites had to pay a tribute to the Assyrian Empire. So it's kind of like in America, if somehow way back in the Cold War, the Soviet Union actually got stronger than us and they, they actually conquered us. And then we had to take all, a lot of our money, our tax money, and pay a tribute to them. Year after year after year, you could see the anger that would be building up. And so Jehu had to pay this during the time of King Jehu. They had to pay this, 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 this fund to Assyria, this tribute. And then during the reign of Jeroboam II, where we now have Jonah speaking, the Israel, Israel was able to, to stop paying this, this, this tribute to them. They were able to, to let that go because they were starting to, to rise in power. So now we have Jonah being sent to Nineveh to tell these people. And again, I'm going to repeat this. Jonah hated and Israel hated the Ninevites, okay, hated them, hated Assyria. And, and the feeling was absolutely mutual. Jonah would like nothing more than have them wiped off the map. So now God comes along and tells Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and preach these people that their wickedness has come up before me and it's unacceptable to me and they're facing my judgment if they do not repent. So Jonah is asked to go into, really, you think about this, this is not an easy task 
to go into the very heart of the camp of their mortal enemy. God is calling him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to the city of Nineveh that God is going to bring judgment if they don't repent. He's walking right into the heart of the enemy camp. It would be like if your parents got killed by the Nazis in World War II and then somehow God called you to be a missionary to Germany at the same, around the same time. So your parents, your relatives, they're wiped out by the Nazis, they're put on these trains, they're taken to these camps, they're gassed, they're burned, all the horrible things that we learn in school about what happened. And then God calls you to go to Germany and be a missionary there in Germany to save them. To save them. You start putting it in that context and you begin to understand maybe a little bit how Jonah was feeling. Jonah knew that God did not issue a prophecy of judgment for no reason. Jonah knew that God was sending him to Nineveh to give those people, the Syrians, an opportunity to repent so that he would not bring his judgment upon him. Jonah understood that. He was going there for the specific reason that God wanted to give the Assyrians an opportunity to repent. But Jonah also knew something else. You think about this. Jonah also knew if the Assyrians, if Nineveh didn't repent, then God was going to bring judgment on them and Israel's mortal enemy would be wiped off the map. They, the, the greatest threat to his nation would be gone. Again, temporal perspective. Look, think of he's a man, the way he's thinking here. I don't, I don't want to do this because, if, see, if they don't repent, God doesn't just fool around. He's not joking. And if they don't repent, then they're going to get the big kibosh, and they will no longer be a threat to my nation um, uh, I want nothing more, Jonah would think, I want nothing more than for Nineveh to be, Nineveh to be wiped off the map. But see, it was, God, now again, go back to an eternal perspective. Jonah's in a temporal perspective. Go back to an eternal perspective. It was God's plan throughout history that Israel, Israel, the nation of Israel, would be the one through which all other countries of the world would come to know Yahweh as the one true God. That God was, would, Israel would be a light to the nations and that, that God would use his, his, his chosen people to, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. But you know what? Jonah, Jonah thought this idea was offensive, to be honest with you. He didn't like this idea. He didn't want to be a light to the city of Nineveh. He wanted God to light him up. That's what he wanted. It was the old, back in 1980s, nuke them till they glow. That's what he wanted. That's what he was looking Only flashlight he wanted to see was a big mushroom cloud, if you will, coming over the city of Nineveh. That's what he wanted. He wanted no part of this. He wanted no, no part of this. He wanted nothing more than to see those people completely destroyed for all that they had done. But like it or not, God sends Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh. And he says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So God calls him to do that. Jonah's response is immediate. He goes the other direction. God tells him to go northeast. Jonah goes south and then jumps on a boat going west. Jonah's like, You know what? God, you tell me to go right, I'm going left. 
I, I, I don't want any I don't want any part of this. When I first read the book of Jonah, I was young, a very, very young Christian. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with this guy? What is wrong with him? He's a prophet of God. Why doesn't he just do what he's told? I mean, God in heaven is talking to his prophet. And his prophet, instead of doing what he's told, goes in the other direction. But when you begin to understand the context, the historical context of what we're talking about, and you begin to understand one other thing, the only perfect man who ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ. Jonah was just a man, prophet or not. He was just a man. And in that humanity, he got caught up in a, in a temporal perspective. And, 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 he, and, he, and, his, and his frustration was overwhelming. And you begin to understand, and all this begins to make sense when you put that in perspective. He would rather they did not repent and they be destroyed by God. Now, I don't know. I, I thought about this this week, but I don't know of how excited I would be about walking into a city of 120,000 people with a really nasty reputation if I were their enemy. I was their enemy. And I'm going to come into that city and I'm going to start preaching that if they don't repent, God is going to do this and this and this and they need to repent. I don't, I don't really know how I feel. I know how I feel. I feel terrified to tell you the truth. It's not just about the fact that he can't stand the Ninevites. He's being asked to go into Nineveh and preach to them that, that God is going to judge them. How do you think that's going to go over with someone that you really... All right, Jeff, I want you to go to Iran and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Iran, in the major city you know, of Iran. I know a pastor who did that. You know what they're doing to him? They're stoning him. I hope they, did, they, did anybody know if they stoned him already? I've been praying for him. I didn't hurt anything. But they're going to stone him. You go in, I get into, number one, they'd arrest me for even crossing the border. But then you, say you get in there and then you start preaching the gospel. Can you imagine the angst that you would have? Can you imagine the fear that might be on your mind thinking you're going into a city of Nineveh where they, all these stories, not forget the stories, the experiences you've had with these folks and now you're asked to go in there. I would rather not be sent to Iran to preach the gospel because you most likely are not going to get out alive. So Jonah, what he does, he jumps a ship and he goes in the opposite direction. Now, before as we, as we just take a step back, how often does God call us to do something specific and we do the opposite? Think about that. How often does God call? I'll give you an example. Um, God tells you to forgive someone. Someone has, someone has done something to you and God calls you to forgive them. And you say, you may not say it out loud, but you think to yourself, not a chance. That person, I don't, I'm not forgiving them. I know the Bible tells me to. It's not like God spoke to you in, in a dream or something like that. No, it's right in scripture. You just read it. God tells you to forgive. No, nah, I'm not, you know, you say to yourself, I'm not, no, I'm, in a sense, you're going the opposite direction. I want you to forgive this person and you basically turn your back and you go and do something else. God says that I, I, I want you, I want you to love your enemy. So the guy at work who stiffed you and got the promotion instead of you and lied about you and stepped on you on the way up. And from the time that you started working together, that person has taken advantage and lied. And you're a good Christian and you try not to have that same behavior, but that person's had it. Now God wants you to love that person, love your enemy. I want you to show kindness to someone who has wronged you. 
God says, show mercy and grace and kindness. Give to that person if they ask of you. And you're like, now again, we're not going to say it out loud in church, but the reality is a lot of people will say, you know what, you have no idea what this person has done to me. I'm not forgiving this person. I'm not showing kindness to anyone. And I'm not loving my enemy because it's my enemy. And this person's on all these things. And the Bible, yeah, I know it says that. But how, and so how often do we do that? How often do we in our own hearts know that God is telling us to do one thing and do the opposite without even the same foundation that Jonah has for his behavior? At least we understand where the guy's coming from. Again, not justifying. We can never justify the behavior. But I want us, at least as we're going through this process over the next four weeks, to understand why he's acting the way he's acting. It may help us as we go through um, struggles in our own lives to step back and say, wait a second, am I looking at this from an eternal perspective or am I looking at this from a temporal perspective? Because the reality of my friends is that uh, some people, even in this room, I know a lot of Christians who've been through some horrendous things, and they may not, they may not say it, but in a new, from a neutral perspective, they would rather the person that harmed them, really harmed them, and changed their life forever in so many ways, would go straight to hell. They don't want them to repent. They're not going to do anything harmful to that person, but if they had their way, they just kind of basically go kind of neutral on the whole thing and, and in the back of their minds kind of hope that person who's caused so much grief and so much destruction would just not come to Christ and not, not my problem. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just kind of hoping that they don't repent. And Jonah, this is what Jonah's doing. Jonah's hoping that these people don't repent. He's hoping that that all works out. So Jonah goes and he gets on this boat now, as the boat, you know, he gets on the boat and he's on the boat. You can just imagine the relief, if you will, a bit of relief as they pull up the anchor and they start to sail in the opposite direction. He's physically, emotionally and spiritually probably exhausted from the whole ordeal of thinking this all through and, and saying, this is not something I want to do. So he runs in the opposite direction, goes to Tarshish and he gets on the boat and you can pull up that anchor and all of a sudden he's thinking to himself, oh, finally, I'm going, you know, I hope God works this out. He's going to call some other prophet to do this. I don't want any part of it. I know he's not going to be happy with me, but at least I've gotten out of this one. And you can tell that because he falls asleep. He gets on the ship and he goes to sleep. So you can kind of feel Jonah's attitude. Now, now I, want to, I want to take you into, a, 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 into the story where now the sea begins to boil. It, can, it just, not boil physically, but just everything's bubbling up and there's waves. And someone told me after the first service, they said, you know, my husband was in the, in the Navy and they've been through hurricanes and the, and the sailors weren't really afraid. They knew their ship could handle it, you know, they, they knew their, and they weren't really afraid. So if someone, a sailor was afraid, there was a reason to be afraid. So these guys are hitting a storm they had never seen before, and they're terrified, and they're wondering, what are we going to do? What is happening? And so they start calling out, you could just imagine the bedlam and, the, and everything that was going on in the ship, and they start calling out to their foreign gods, and nothing's happening. And so they say to themselves, wait, what do sailors do? Let's cast lots and find out who's responsible, since our gods are not responding to us, Who's responsible for this happening to us? And the lot falls on Jonah. On Jonah. And he tells him, Jonah says, I'm running away from God. I'm running away from God. And the only way for you to get that storm calmed down is to throw me overboard. Now, I want to take another little sidestep and realize something that I picked up on as, we're go- as I was going through the study again. Jonah is willing to give up his life for the sailors in this situation. He says, you know, it's my fault this is happening. 
If you want the sea to calm down, throw me overboard. Take my life. Throw me overboard. And if a quote keeps coming back to me in these situations, and the quote is by C.S. Lewis. People are neither totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they're often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives are. What that means is, you know what? Jonah's not some raving madman. He's not some crazed person who hates everybody. He was willing to give up his life for the sailors on the ship. He has an intense hatred for Assyria, but he was willing to give up his life for these men. You see, here's, here's part of the story. Jonah knows Israel's future, okay? So he knows Israel's future, and he knows what's going to happen to them in their future if they do not repent. And he knows how God is going, who God's going to use, in a sense, to bring about the, you know, their, their punishment. And honestly, Jonah understands all that he has. One, he wants nothing to do with it. He knows, he's, he knows Israel's not where they should be. He knows what they're doing, but it's still his country. It's still his nation. And he, and he doesn't want any part of helping the enemy in any way, shape, or form. It's like if we, like I said, if we got taken over by, uh, uh, if, if we were, if, if America was going downhill and somehow God asked you to, to, to I don't want to pick another country and, and, her, and disparage anybody else, but some power, another powerful country around the world and somehow you were going to be used to bring about the, the captivity or whatever of your own nation. He didn't want any part of this. He didn't want to help the enemy at all. He hated the Assyrians. The sailors at this point are, are, are not willing to throw him overboard and so they begin, they begin to row back to shore as best they can. They, they wanted to row back to shore to save their own lives and to save his. Finally, the storm becomes so fierce that they have to throw him overboard. So they take Jonah and they say, God, don't hold us accountable for this. We don't want to take this innocent man's life. Please don't, 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 don't get upset with us. And they throw Jonah over into the sea and the sea calms down. Now, before we move on, I want, to, I want to do a little bit of a contrast here between Jonah and the, the pagan people on the ship. It's amazing. Here's what happens when you allow yourself, when you allow yourself, when you allow your anger to dictate your actions, when you allow yourself to be kind of taken captive. We need to, we need to stop for just a moment and try to get some perspective on what happens when we lose, when we, when we lose our spiritual perspective. So I want to contrast Jonah and the men on the ship. There's some interesting contrast. Number one, the pagan boat captain has to say to God's prophet, get up and pray. Think about that. One of the first things that happens to us when we, when we lose it, when, God, when, when, things, when life doesn't go our way and we get angry, we lose our perspective. And one of the first things we stop doing is what? We stop praying. We stop praying. We turn away from God because we're angry about it. And the pagan boat captain has enough sense to say to Jonah, hey, get up and pray. Maybe your God will save us and spare us from all this. The, the sailors on the ship were willing to save Jonah's life, even though he was the one who put them in, in mortal danger. They, 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 he risked their lives by doing what he did. He, he risked their lives by getting on that boat, but they turned around right around and were willing to try to save his life Instead, the, the, the sailors, the pagan sailors, understood the seriousness of Jonah's disobedience better than he did. 
And the pagan sailors, when they realized who God was, they begin to they begin to worship him, make sacrifices and worship him while Jonah is running in the other direction. Look at the contrast. It's amazing as Christians sometimes we know we know what we should be doing, but we do the opposite. And I've had situations where I've seen Christians where non Christians come in and say, Well, you're a Christian, right? Why don't you maybe maybe if you prayed. Maybe if you pray, maybe try this or try that. But we lose our perspective. We lose it. We, 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 we walk, we get so angry at God for whatever you think he's doing to you, if you will, that we lose our perspective and we, and we do things that we would never tell someone else to do. Someone else is going through a hard time. They go through a loss or God's not providing something they think they should be provided with at that time. And what you would do is sit down and say, well, you know, you need to be patient and God loves you and God has a good, a perfect plan for your life. And you tell him all these things. But when it comes to you and it happens to you, all of a sudden that goes out the window. Why? Because you get a temporal perspective of right now. You don't want to see the big picture. You want to see the big picture in other people's lives, but I don't want to see the big picture in my life. When it's my life, I see the temporal picture. I see what God's doing right now. And if I don't like it, I'm going to say something about it. And that's exactly how Jonah was acting. When you get lost, listen, when you get lost in your anger, things become muddled. When you get lost in your anger because things are not going the way you plan, when God is not doing what you want him to do, when you want him to do it, you get frustrated and, and, and you allow some of the most difficult things to come into your life. You usher in some of the most difficult things you've ever been through in your life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God, if you're not going to do this, this blank, then I'm going to do blank. If you're not going to blank, then I'm just going to blank. And some of you know exactly what blank is because you're still digging yourself out of the hole that you dug for yourself because you were so angry. And you said, if God's going to, and I'm going to, then I'm just going to like a little kid. We all do it. I'm not pointing fingers at you. We all do it. Well, if God, if you're not going, then all of a sudden you find yourself in some terrible mess. You find yourself thrown overboard into the sea and you're drowning. And you're saying, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? How, how on earth did I get myself here? And then you cry out to God for help. God, help me. God, help me. And that's exactly what we have happening. As we close, I want to go back to an to a important question. Why would God send Jonah to Nineveh to preach to the city of Nineveh to repent? These are not his people. This is, a, this is just another nation. And the answer is that, that God... God's plan was always to bring about salvation and blessing to the entire world. That that was God's plan, not just Israel. And and, and when God promised Abraham, you think about it in, in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that the nations, the world would be blessed through his relationship with Abraham, that God was going to use Israel to bring about blessing on the whole world. Go back to Genesis chapter 12 and read that again and you'll see it. This has always been God's plan from the very beginning. And I believe that Jonah's preaching to the Gentiles is just another step in the journey to God's ultimate plan. But Jonah couldn't see it because he had a temple perspective. He was thinking about the 8th century B.C. and Israel's enemy Assyria. And all that mattered to him was that he hated their guts and he didn't want to see the big picture. 
The ultimate picture of God's ultimate plan. You can't read the Bible in bits and pieces. You have to understand God's ultimate plan. How that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness and that repentance run through all the way into the New Testament. And that's what Jonah, that's what Jonah was missing. We need to understand, and Jonah didn't even understand this, that Jonah is a forerunner to Jesus. Jonah is a forerunner to Jesus, the one who would bring blessing on the entire world. Jonah is hardly the model prophet that we would want to follow. He is, he's not the model prophet at all. But Jonah is the prophet that Jesus compares himself to. When I first read that, I was like, what? Jonah is the prophet that Jesus compares himself to. And he's not comparing himself because of Jonah's disobedience, running in the other direction, or his attitude, or his perspective. But he is like Jonah in that he brings the message of salvation to the entire world. Jonah preached repentance to the people of Nineveh, that if they would repent, they would be saved. Jesus, on on an obviously grander scale, teaches each one of us how to come into a right relationship with God. The prophet Jonah, for all his faults and for all of his imperfections, points us to Jesus Christ. He points us to Jesus. You see, when you read a book of the Bible and you just read it in, in a myoptic point, from a myoptic point of view, you miss the big picture. When you're going through difficulties in your life, you need to understand that you should step back and look at it as best you can. We're only human. I understand that, and I don't always do it. But we need to step back and look at all of it from an eternal perspective. How do I fit in to that eternal perspective? How do I know if God was to send me to Iran to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that in my death I wouldn't bring about the salvation of that whole country? But I'd think to myself, wait a second. It's 2012. Iran hates our guts. We, we don't like them too much either. Um, they're Israel's enemy. They're our enemy. Um, I'd rather stay at home and just see how it all pans out. That's a temporal perspective. But if God calls me to do something and I do it, I need to see it from the 30,000 foot view, if you will, on how in history my obedience to God in that situation, even to the point of death, could change the world as we know it. We need to see it when you're going through a difficulty, when you're going through a struggle, when you're facing challenges in your life, you need to not be like Jonah, but you need to be like Jesus Christ who in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was going through, he knew was going to have them. He knew he was going to be hanging on a cross. He knew the sin of the world would be placed on his shoulders. And he said, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, let it pass. But then he said, fully man, okay? He was fully man and fully God. Fully man was like, uh, let this pass. But the fully God side, the eternal perspective said, but not my will be done, your will be done. That's the attitude we have to have, the attitude of Jesus Christ. As we go through the book of Jonah, we're going to learn so much about overcoming the difficulties that we face in life, how to deal with the difficulties, how to deal with a life that doesn't go the way you planned. Okay, so Jonah is now, they grab him by the seat of his pants and they throw him into the ocean and he's sinking into the ocean. And I'll tell you what happens with the rest of it next week. Let's bow our heads.
Father God, we thank you so, so, so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. And God, we pray that as we go through Jonah and we go through Habakkuk, Lord God, that you would open up our eyes in ways that you never have before, that we would see things, that you would, you would remove the scales from our eyes, from our own perspectives, as we look at things from, an, from a temporal perspective, Lord God, open up the eyes of the people of this church so that we could see you, you for who you really are, so that we could truly be be used by you in every situation, Lord God. Let us lay aside ourselves in this series and see only you. And let us be used by you in a powerful, powerful way. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy and awesome and majestic name. Amen. Have a great week.